Some breaking news to share with you from the Pasadena Courthouse, where the trial of the family of Joshua Peterson versus Barry the police dog is about to begin. It's a packed courthouse with news that Barry has received an incredible amount of support from his canine community. We take you live now to the courtroom, where it is apparently sitting room only. In the matter of the family of Joshua Peterson versus Barry the police dog, case number 370-744-09773, Judge Seymour Butts presiding. Barry the police dog, under penalty of perjury, do you promise to tell the truth? The whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help you, dog. You may be seated. Wait, you are sitting. Who's a good boy? Counsel, you may proceed. Thank you, Your Honor. Barry, in your own words, can you describe the night of August 7th 2021 at the Pasadena City Park where you have been accused of attacking five-year-old Joshua Peterson, knocking the poor child to the ground, biting his ear off, and subsequently dry-humping his five-year-old leg. Is it not true that you indeed did bite Mr. Peterson's ear off? Aha! Your Honor! Your Honor! Goddamn dogs, you screwed my dramatic effect. Who in the blue hell let dogs into this courthouse anyways? Now where was I? Oh yeah. Aha! And is it also not true that you dry-humped his leg, scarring this young boy for the rest of his life? (laughs) So how then can you sit there in that chair, in this courtroom, with your sweaty dog balls staining the walnut wood of this prestigious institution of justice and deny all of those allegations, knowing full well that you have a history of sexual harassment at the city of Pasadena's police department, including three separate cases claiming that you have not only dry-humped other female dogs on the force, but also paid hush money to a Mrs. Penny the Poodle, an innocent bystander who you took behind the bushes in the line of duty, requiring other members of the police force to spray you and Mrs. Poodle with a garden hose in order to unstick your filthy canine genitalia from her French 
poodle for JJ. Your Honor, I rest my case. All right. Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, hope you're not a T-Mobile customer today. (laughs) If you are, start changing passwords. And hey, don't say it. I know I'm a dope. That intro is the perfect example of a man who has way too much free time on his hands in the evening. (laughs) And that should serve as an example of why I never got accepted into the good schools. Yeah, I've been writing in that ideas journal that I purchased And I got to tell you, it's been exhilarating. I'm completing like three to four prompts a day. You know, I wake up, make some coffee, and I I write for about an hour. And it's the first thing I'm doing in the mornings now. You know, because it's quiet. Sun is just hitting. My mind is fresh. I used to be more creative at night. That's when I would write music and do stuff. Now, morning, that's the time for me. And it's not only been one of the more cathartic things that I've done for myself, but it's becoming deeply personal. Like I find myself beating up on my younger self as if I was being asked to go back in time and and give myself the life lessons that I've learned. Because I talk a lot about how it sucks getting old, but I'll tell you something. I wouldn't trade it for the world. With age comes wisdom. And if you live life the right way, you know, a lot of people get older and then they just continue to make the same mistakes over and over as if their lives are just one vicious, continuous loop. Because you know, life's filled with surprises. But, you know, like the old saying goes, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> that is how it goes, right? If not, that's how it should go. But you want to know who I have a genuine problem with? Extremists. Why is it that every time something happens, if someone's attacked or wronged, Americans take it personally and direct their anger to everybody in the same race or religion or political party? Go back to the Tulsa race riots. That's a good example. That kid wasn't even guilty. But anyone who was black living in the South became an enemy. And after the Rodney King verdict came down, opposite. African Americans used their anger against white people and Asians. After 9-11, Muslims were living here in America. Peaceful people. They were targeted because of religion. And once news spread that COVID had originated in China, all Asians were targeted. And then after the insurrection at the Capitol in January, anyone who voted for Trump in either 2016 or the 2020 election were seen as the enemy of American democracy by the hardcore left. Because I've made it a point not to talk politics on this show because it was politics that made last year so freaking unbearable for a lot of people. COVID got politicized. Everything tends to gravitate towards politics. So let me say this. I have friends and family 
on both sides of the political spectrum, and they're all wonderful people. (laughs) To coin a phrase, very fine people on both sides. They don't attack or support attacks on people on the other side. They have their ideologies, and they stick to them. That's the beauty of the freedom that we've been given. So I don't understand why I can't always just be civil. Like, take Rodney King, for example, since I mentioned him. Here was this troubled dude, got mixed up in drugs and shit, made a mess out of his life. He didn't deserve to be beaten by the police. He was a soft guy, personally. He just made a lot of mistakes. So the cops who beat him, they go to trial. They're found not guilty. So black you know, individuals throughout Los Angeles, they've had enough, right? They take to the streets. They declare war on white people and then throw Asians into the mix because they're the wild card. That made no sense. Their problem should have been with the police and the justice system. Then after a couple of days, Rodney King, he speaks out. He asks if we could just get along. Visibly upset, voice was shaking. People are generally just angry. And it boils at the surface 24-7. And then politics only make it worse. There are a lot of things that are unjust in life. It's always been that way. It's always going to be that way. But now, people just don't trust each other or anything. Everything is politically motivated, no matter what it is. And this isn't anything new, okay? Edgar Allan Poe started this shit. He said, believe nothing you hear and only one half of what you see. It's just that now, that advice could be deadly. Like, listen to this old guy. He's being interviewed about the COVID vaccine. Have you been vaccinated? No. Why not? Not going to. Any particular reason? God gave us natural immunities to everything. See, you're... Why would you want to interfere? You're, you're an older man than I am. You're probably in the, uh, what, the, what the government would say is the risk category. Well, who come up with that? The scientists and the doctors. Who told them to say that? Even though it's the Trump vaccine, the doctors, the scientists. That ain't a Trump vaccine. He did it to please everybody that put the pressure on him. He got the shot himself. Who says he got the shot? He, he got fixed up. He, he got the shot. He got it in January, I think, before he left. The... I don't think he got the shot. I think he got some stuff to make him better. Death wish. Because he thinks everything's a hoax. And he's this kind old guy, too. Looked like Santa Claus. And maybe we shouldn't be blaming Trump so much. Start blaming Edgar Allan Poe. Trump only perpetuated it. Poe started that shit. Motherfucker. Planted the seeds of doubt back in 1800s. I don't really have a point here. Just to say that extremism does more harm than it does good. It's irrational. And as far as politics go, I think the middle is the nicest place to be. It's like a pool, right? Stand in the shallow end of a pool and eh, fun for a minute, then it gets boring. You might cool down a little bit, but it's not that fun. Go to the deep end. Now you're treading water the whole time. It's fun for a little while, but then gets exhausting. And it's just too much work. It's fun for about a minute. But the middle of the pool, where your neck high and your feet still touch the bottom, that's the sweet spot. You can wave to your friends at both sides and still enjoy yourself. You can still be a liberal or a conservative in the middle. Agree on some of the same issues, come to resolutions, and then everybody gets what they want. 
you know, we can all get along and live in harmony. Maybe that's my point. See, this is why I don't talk politics. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about right now. (laughs) I just want peace, man. I'm tired of seeing so many people fight. It exhausts me. And I don't want to see any more people die from COVID. I hope that old man gets a shot. Hey, listen, bad news bears, okay? That's what I'm going to refer to, uh, uh, the, the news outlets right now. I'm going to refer to the news outlets as the bad news bears. And it's not their fault. Their job is to deliver the news. Unfortunately, the news is mostly bad most of the time. All right, you can call it sensationalistic if you want. But there's a reason why people say, if it bleeds, it leads. I got curious. I looked this up. There are websites out there that just deliver good news, the non-offensive stuff. Sites like Positive News, The Good News Network, The Optimist Daily. But guess what? That's not news. It's a bunch of feature stories of people doing things to, you know, like fighting global warming, doing nice things for people, shit like that. And hey, that's great. All right. I love that stuff. Positive things to read. I'm all about it. But the world is on fire right now. And that's the news. You think that people in Afghanistan are browsing the positive news network this afternoon? Fuck no. They're in fear for their lives. They want this news to spread to people who might be able to help them out of this hellhole they're in. News is depressing. And that's why I try to not spend too much time reading it or dwelling on it. COVID 24-7. Haiti's a mess. 7.2 earthquake over there. Killed a bunch of people. The Taliban bum-rushed Afghanistan. We said we're leaving. Good night. That's a lot to have to digest day in and day out. But when I saw that headline about the earthquake in Haiti come across the wire, I just thought, oh my God, those poor people. If it wasn't bad enough. If you've never experienced an earthquake, a 6.2 will shake you up pretty good. Lasts a while, can make you a little, you know, dizzy, knock your equilibrium off. But a 7.2, that's going to rattle your molars loose. That's devastating. You start approaching 8, that's damn near apocalyptic. But that shit happens. And it's not getting reported on the Optimus Daily. Sticking your head in the sand is fine, man, but you'd never know the world was in shambles if we didn't have newspapers. And don't get me started on TV news. I've all but stopped watching that shit. It was just so dumb. There was this funny tweet I saw the other day. This gal wrote, And just like that, all the infectious disease experts on Twitter became military strategists. <laughs> this is why I think it's best just to keep your dumb opinions to yourself online. Twitter's worse than Facebook. But then I got on the subject of childbirth with a friend of mine. He brought it up. He said watching his first child coming out of the womb was one of the most traumatic things he's ever gone through in his life. He said he felt really guilty about saying it, but there was nothing beautiful about the experience. Because people talk about it like it's this beautiful thing, right? I worked in the photo finishing industry for years during and after college. I've had to process pictures of this stuff multiple times, so I've seen it up close. I've never been in the room, never in person, but I've had to stare at it from multiple angles over and over, color correcting the photos so the skin tones were natural. And I'm telling you, look, yes, it's wonderful that a life is coming into the world, but you can't deny that looks like a murder scene. Every time something queasy 
would come through this photo lab where I worked. Actually, both labs I worked at. They always gave it to me because I was the only one with a strong stomach. I don't know how, why, when it started. I was the only person who could manage to just desensitize myself and do the job. My friend, he admitted, he goes, it's just one of those things he wished he hadn't seen. The birth of his child. I mean, it sucks to have to say that. But it just shows you how much stronger women are than men. They're being ripped apart, blood everywhere. They just get the job done. We do so much as look at it, we want to faint. But the lab work, man, that worst thing I've ever had to look at, way too many photos of it, was this murder scene. And I I can't go into too many details, I don't want to. uh, Because I could potentially still get myself in trouble. Even though it was over well over 30 years ago. But this lab I worked at was close to the police department in the city where I lived. And I don't know if they had their own lab or or something, but they couldn't do the job in-house, or if they simply just didn't want to deal with it. Or maybe it was because it was case-sensitive. But these two suits, they walk in with six rolls of film. They tell me they need three photos of each frame. They need it ASAP. Want me to shut everything else down. They're going to pay rush fees, and they're going to stay there the entire time to watch me. It took close to three hours, all right? So I was really nervous. They said it was a very sensitive situation and that for the sake of privacy, they just needed to make sure I didn't keep copies or anything. But they only told me it was a murder scene. And if I couldn't do it, they'd understand. I said, look, it's fine. (laughs) In hindsight, I wish I hadn't because it wasn't fine at all. The photos were horrible. This woman was cut to pieces and she was pregnant. I'll leave out the gory details because it's a story that haunts me still to this day. But I managed to print one frame, color corrected it, and then I just shot through the entire job all the way through. I gave them the test prints and, and the entire job. They thanked me for my professionalism, paid me. They even tipped me, which I wasn't supposed to take, but I did it anyway. And then I left. I later read the story of what these images were for. It involved a police officer having an affair on his then-pregnant wife, and she found out about it, threatened to tell his employer, and then the rest happened. And that's all I can tell you. But jobs like that taught me that, you know, death is real. It taught me how to handle it. I don't like it. I never have. But I can handle it because, look, I know that's real life. Those things happen. Birth happens. Death happens. Don't be naive, okay? Just, it's just like the news. Right? Just because you don't like the news doesn't mean that shit's not going down every day. But I was the guy they'd, they'd give all this nasty shit to. Autopsy photos, images of surgeries like facelifts, liposuction, shit like that. I should have been paid an overtime rate just for dealing with that shit. My, even my boss wouldn't look at them. I couldn't even get it through quality control. I'd have to ship it myself. But this is why I value life as much as I do. And why I hate violence, especially violence against other people. I've seen too much of that shit, man. And I hope I never have to see it again in my life. Anyway, I guess my point was, man, I really did go off there. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) My point was that, that birth and death are not much different. All right. One is beautiful and one is tragic. But there's always often blood involved, lots of screaming. And no one wants to look, not even me anymore. Jesus, this is my overshare episode, I guess. (laughs) I'll tell you anything. Another tweet I saw last week, and this one's brutal, if it's even true. 
because it sounds unbelievable. Okay, the tweet says, today I found out my seven-year-old daughter really did lie about her father's other girlfriend as revenge for being grounded and that he never cheated on me at all. Now we're well into our divorce proceedings and he won't forgive me for not believing him when he denied it. FML. FML. Oh, that means fuck my life, right? See, that, I don't, this is where I don't think it's true. Nobody says fuck my life after a tweet like that. You say advice, please, or, you know, anybody been through this? Let's say this is true, just for the sake of having a discussion, because it does sound unbelievable. Because there's so much to unpack with this. Well-composed tweet, first of all. When you can tell the whole story in a single post, that's fantastic. But if it is true, who believes anything out of a seven-year-old's mouth? Kids lie like a rug, but 90% of what comes out of their mouths is false. How could you even take the word of a seven-year-old over your own husband? That would be really sad, you know? And you're almost all the way divorced. Of course he's not going to forgive you for not believing him. Imagine what that would feel like for a guy, being accused of something he never did. And the kid, well, her life is fucked. She fucked it all on her own, too, age seven. Kids can be shitty, man, I'm telling you. They'll test your marriage. But this, is, this would be the first time I'd seen one destroy it. <laughs> what a debacle. And then, again, if it is true, how is she going to live with her daughter now? Holding back resentment for ruining her marriage? Eventually, the daughter is going to resent the mom for believing her in the first place. She grows older, and she wonder how her mom could ever, you know, been that gullible seven-year-old. Then imagine the custody debate. On this fake story. Who wants the girl? <laughs> oh, shit, you can have her. No fucking way, you take her. To hell with that. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but it's funny, at least a little. But if stuff like this happens, you just couldn't sit down and talk about it. Like, show proof you're not cheating on your wife. Here's my phone, check my texts, check my call log, look at our credit card statements. Interview my friends, they'd know. Their wives would know. You don't have an affair without there being at least one thing to slip up. But look, stuff like this does happen. And she didn't trust her husband. Maybe she didn't trust herself. Now, there's another thing I want to talk about. You know, I sound like I preach a lot. Like later, I'm going to listen back to this and think, dude, you need to shut your mouth. You're full of advice. No one gives a shit. When I was doing my life, I was always preaching about how you, you shouldn't eat fast food or ice cream and donuts and only shop the outside perimeter aisles. All the bad shit was on the inside aisles. And then people like Bogner would say, why does this bother you so much? And I'd think to myself, yeah, why does this bother me so much? People's right to choose, right? It's their life. Well, I realized why it bothered me so much and why people not masking up or getting vaccinated bothers me so much now. Because of the constant rise in the cost of health care and medical insurance, you eat unhealthy, you end up packing the hospitals, diabetes, amputations, heart surgeries, all kinds of shit. And now with COVID, not only is it dangerous for everyone else around you, pretty soon we'll all be back to having to wear masks everywhere because of you. Can you imagine what insurance premiums are going to be like in a few years or how expensive it's going to get just to get a life insurance policy? That's why I care so much. Divorce? Bah, that's your problem. But if, if stories like this are true, 
we've got yet another candidate for depression later in life. I'd rather, I'd rather not see more of that. But on a more positive note, my sister-in-law and my brother recommended that I watch Modern Love on Amazon Prime because everything outside of human interest stories right now just doesn't appeal to me, right? And I was so glad I watched this. Absolutely, just great storytelling. Really good actors in each episode. They run around 30 minutes each, so they're not, you know, they're not too long. In the second season, they filmed that one during the COVID lockdowns. So there's one story in there. It's got a lockdown storyline. Really funny. And every story is based on true stories sent into this New York Times column called Modern Love. So the basis of each story is true. It really did happen. They fictionalize a little. But there's an episode with Anne Hathaway. And she plays a girl with bipolar disorder. And she's brilliant in it. And anyone who doesn't truly know about depression or doesn't understand how this works, watch that episode at the very least. You'll get to see how people who suffer from this have really low lows and then really high highs. And they come out of nowhere. You'll be the life of the party one minute. And then suddenly, you become a dark hole. Staying in bed for days on end. Severe depression. Her character is a very talented lawyer. But she can only manage to do her job on her good days. When you start stringing too many bad days together, you're screwed. So on one of her happy high days, she meets this the perfect guy in a grocery store. And they plan a date. And she's in a real hurry. Because she knows these high highs, you know, these high days she has. They have an end date. So day the date comes, she's stuck in bed in a pool of depression. And she says, you know, she's, she's the worst person to be friends with. She says she's the least dependable person you can imagine. It's a shit disease, I'm telling you. It's not like cancer. Look, cancer can be kicked to the curb, never to return again. That does happen. But there's no cure for this. Only medication, procedures, just kind of hold it at bay. But it'll come back whenever it likes. You've got it for life, all right? It's like herpes or luggage. It's hard to get rid of. And the problems with medication, like lithium's the only, it's, it's the most popular, most effective drug for people who suffer from bipolar disorder. It's the one drug that you can take that won't make you think of, you know, ending things. But long-term use of that will damage your liver. So you've got to balance stuff, constantly balancing other medications to keep yourself stable. And then eventually those drugs just stop working. And then you've got to try something new. You're back to the drawing board. It takes six weeks for some of this stuff to start working. It's horrible. It's like being handcuffed to a demon. Ugh, leave it to me. I start, what did I say? Uh, on a more positive note, <laughs> and I bring that shit up. <laughs> oh, this show's a bummer. I'm sorry. Hey, I was all shits and giggles last week. Honestly, though, every story in this show is wonderful. It's like Humans of New York, but it's all about love and different facets. You know, couples, you know, a woman who keeps her widow's car because it reminds her of him. There are gay couples in there. This one pair who are adopting a kid. Interracial relationships. You name it. Great writing. Every modern working actor you could imagine is in this thing. And you'll dig it if you're into human interest storytelling. But one piece of dialogue that really hit me, and it was brilliant writing, was from Dev Patel's character. He had invented this dating app. It was kind of like, it was, I mean, I think it was Tinder, obviously. And he was saying that, his theory was that relationships are like a rocket. 
you're trying to get it into space, right? All you need is enough fuel to get it out of the Earth's atmosphere where it'll float. And after that, it'll just keep going. It's momentum. That's all you need to make a relationship work. And no matter what you throw at it after that, it's what happens early on that keeps it steady. Now look, that's a flawed theory, obviously. I mean, on paper, it sounds good. But we all know any foundation can be cracked if you hit it hard enough. That's why I think you have to continue to be present in every relationship, friendships, everything. Be conscious of the other person's needs, their feelings. Continue to love them and be that charming person you were from day one. And charm, look, that's usually a behavior. It's not a thing. But for a lot of people, it's something they can turn on and off. If you make charm a thing, like part of who you are, hey, boys and girls, you'll have that day one spark for the rest of your lives. I promise you that. If he or she falls in love with your charm, and it's part of who you are, not what you are, I mean, you're golden. I figured that part out long ago. Being charming is a personality trait. Possessing charm is inherent to who you are as a, you know, as a human, you know. I challenge you to find someone who wouldn't fall in love with that. And again, look, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to bum you out about depression. But leave it to me. <laughs> this episode's fucking dark, man. <laughs> the hell's wrong with me this week? All right, look, one last thing before I leave you this week. Like, I know I tend to talk about sports a lot here, but I try to do it only when it's interesting to everybody even those who could give a rat's hairy ass about sports. So last night, well, let me set this up. Okay. Uh, last night, the, the Detroit Tigers, okay, they're hosting the Angels. And this phenom, Shohei Otani, he comes to bat. Now, you've heard me talk about this kid before. He's the unicorn of baseball players from Japan. Pitches the lights out and then bats like nobody's business. So Chuck and I have been comparing him to Babe Ruth. Not only is he a good ba- a baseball player, But he's a gentleman of a guy, very kind, very friendly. So he's coming to bat in last night's game. And Jack Morris, he's the Tigers radio announcer, used to pitch for the Tigers, he's in the Hall of Fame. He decides to have a little fun and does either a really lame Asian accent or one of the worst impressions of Elmer Fudd I've ever heard in my life. Now what do you do with Shohei Otani? Be very, very careful. So Shohei comes back up to the plate later in the game. And by now, the Angels are kicking the shit out of the Tigers, right? It's over. And Morris, who's obviously been made aware that he may have screwed the pooch with this lame Asian accent, he comes back on with this non-apology apology. Well, folks, uh, Shohei Otani has come to the plate and uh, it's been brought to my attention and I sincerely apologize if I offended anybody especially anybody in the Asian community for what I said about pitching and being careful to uh, Jose or Shohei Otani I did not intend for any offensive thing and I apologize if I did certainly respect and have the utmost respect for this guy and uh, don't blame a pitcher for walking now I hate apologies like this for two reasons number one he didn't catch himself. He was made aware that someone took issue with it. Because if they hadn't, he wouldn't have said shit. Number two, no one wants to hear an apology where you say shit like, if I offended anyone. There is no if. You offended someone. Maybe a lot of people. 
Shohei's in town, right? Everybody's going to tune into that, especially Asian Americans who are proud to see Japan and Asia represented in Major League Baseball like this. Last week, I told that story about that girl on Tinder who got offended that I made a joke about stroking out and I did that, you know, impersonation of a person who just had a stroke. It was obvious I offended her, right? So I said, I'm sorry that offended you. I didn't say, I'm sorry if that offended you. I'm not Asian, okay? I can't go ripping on Morris here. It's not my place. Maybe there's a larger contingency that aren't offended or maybe don't even know about Elmer Fudd. who used to walk around, you know, hunting Bugs Bunny in the forest, doing a Charlie Chan impersonation. These cartoons, you know? It's just a tone-deaf thing to do, given the climate we're in. And the fact that, you know, there's a lot of racism being hurled at Asians lately. Because you know, if Morris did an impersonation of a mushmouth rapper or maybe impersonated LeBron James, you know, tripping on this lack of, uh, you know, a grip on the English language, he'd have been suspended last night after the game and wouldn't come back. But I'll save my outrage because I don't want to be a hypocrite. Hell, I made fun of stereotypical, overly dramatic Southern lawyers in my intro today. So who am I to talk? I just know that if I were Asian and I've been dealing with the kind of mockery that they've been dealing with lately, I'd probably be a little pissed off. But Morris was always a dick. Back when he was still pitching, I found an article from 1990 in the Chicago Tribune. That's 31 years ago, mind you. Listen to the sexism in, in this. When Detroit Free Press sports writer Jennifer Frey tried to get a comment from Tigers pitcher Jack Morris in the Tigers clubhouse earlier this summer, he said, I don't talk to people when I'm naked, especially women, unless they're on top of me or I'm on top of them. It was an odd thing to say since Morris was wearing long underwear at the time. Free Press publisher Neil Shine complained and Tigers team president Bo Schembechler wrote back that Morris's conduct was out of line but blame the sports editor's lack of common sense in sending a female college intern in a man's clubhouse. Rest assured, said Bo, no female member of my family would be inside a men's locker room regardless of their job description. That's the kind of bullshit I'd like to see less of. Women, Asians, black Americans, Latinos, they've been enduring this crap for a long time, and it's apparently still okay to say whatever you like, as long as you apologize if you offended anybody. Okay, now I'm done. Thanks for listening. Hope you all have a wonderful week. Enjoy the coming weekend. And I'll see you all next time. My name is Phil. This has been Inane. Cheers. (music) 